Uh, grab a handout, and uh, we're going to finish out um, chapter, is it chapter 8, uh, and go into chapter 9 of this uh, a book, The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy, like I've mentioned every week, just a tremendous work. I want to do a little bit of review first and talk about what uh, is the kind of the core basis of the book, what forms the, um, the, the steps for us to deal with people and how to help them and how to actually resolve some of our own conflicts. And they, he calls those the four G's, the steps of the four G's. Do you remember what the four G's are? The first G is what? Glorify God. Somebody said I needed to write bigger. Is that okay? Can you see that? Is that a little better? Glorify God. I don't think they can see it online, but that's okay. Uh, sorry, that's what it says. Glorify God. Our goal is not to be right. Our goal is not to um, make the other person uh, fit our idea of what a husband or wife should be or a partner uh, in work or an employee or whatever. It's not to fix that person. It's not to uh, make our life easier. It is to glorify God. That has got to be our number one goal, whatever we do. So glorify God. What's the second G? <clears throat> Yeah, I'm going to use a different pen here. Get the log out of your own eye, right? And that's referring, um, and you know the rest, get the log out of your own eye. Um, that's referring to when Jesus talks about if we have a log sticking out of our eye and we see the speck in our brother's eye, we can't help them, um, you know, unless we first remove the log that's in our eye. So get the log out of your own eye. That's very, very important. What does that mean, practically speaking, when we deal with conflict? We need to get... What, how do you say that? So we need to assess, ourselves. assess ourselves in a situation, right? Yeah, see how, see how we are participating in the pro- how we're contributing to the problem. We've got to be real about that. You cannot pretend like everything's the other person's fault. I said this before and I'll say it again, but like often we meet with a couple in our office and we'll say, hey, so what's going on? Like, and then the, if the husband talks about his wife or the wife talks about her husband, typically it's, well, she and la, 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 and he talks about her, and well, he, and then the issue, I say, well, what, what would make the marriage better? Well, it would be better if she would stop or start, and it would be better if he would stop or start, and it's always directed at the other person rather than, hey, I need help doing this, or I need help doing that, and that's not always the case. We've had wonderful, I've had wonderful conversations with people who recognize that they're the problem, and that's like, I almost don't know what to do in that situation. <laughs> it's like, whoa, all right. We're dealing with uh, somebody who has, you know, uh, we often do not see our participation in these problems. So it takes some self-evaluation. We have to get serious. We have to get real. We have to get honest before the Lord and say, Lord, show me where I'm contributing. So yeah, get the log out of your own eye. What's the third step? Gently restore, Gently restore right? And I love this word gently. Uh, it has the idea of in meekness, of going to the person in meekness. Gently restore. And again, the idea here of the relationship being restored, it's not about correction just for the sake of correction. It's the idea of restoring a relationship to usefulness so that you have a good relationship with that person. So glorify God, get the log out of your own eye, gently restore. We are, if, if the book actually talks about this at the beginning and then walks through each one of these stages, and we're still in the gently restore stage in chapters 8 and chapter 9. Chapter 10 moves on to the last stage, which is what? Go and be reconciled, right? Go and be reconciled. 
So this is the move on with your life stage, right? This is the part where you have to actually live after uh, offending one another, after, uh, you know, being actually reconciled to each other. So in these four stages, we're in this gently restore stage. So we've already talked about how to get the log out of your own eye. Now we're in that really gentle, difficult part of how to speak truth to people who are wrong, right? How to help someone see their part of the, of the conflict and their part of the situation. Very, very difficult to do very difficult to do and to do well. So this takes a lot of prayer um, to, and it helps. You have to go in this, in this order. Why is it important to go in this order? Keep the right focus, Keep the right? Focus, right? You've got to see, Jesus says you've got to see clearly before you can help your brother with the speck that's in his eye. That isn't indicating that everything's your fault, okay? I mean, there is a speck in your brother's eye, but the thing is, is that you can't, you can't see the speck and how to help him unless you first get rid of the log. And why are you doing this? For the glory of God. So we've got to keep this in the right, in the right order. Okay, uh, if you look at your, uh, your notes here, just let's running start here. Look at um, chapter 8. He, he, uh, he talks about Ephesians 4 being the emphasis here, speaking the truth in love, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. And this is important that, um, that, that the, you cannot... You have to speak truth with love, and love is care for the other person. A person who doesn't love you won't speak the truth, and a person who uh, speaks the truth without love doesn't love you. So you have, to, you have to have both sides of that. Break home through the gospel. He mentions the fact that we should be emphasizing the good news of the gospel and not just condemning people with the law. Uh, we talked about that at length. The idea of pointing people towards the future and what God has for them, that's, that's key. Uh, giving hope in the gospel right? Hope for or a life that's transformed. Um, being quick to listen is very important when you're helping someone uh, change. You have to hear where they are and hear where they're coming from. Uh, if, if, you, if you don't understand where they are and who they are and what they're doing, if you're not a good listener, you, you cannot help people. You cannot help people because you'll be, you'll be aiming at the wrong thing, right? You'll be addressing things and trying to correct things that aren't issues, right? So, so you, you, you really need to be careful to do that. And then, and then thirdly, he says, um, the tongue of the wise brings healing. Uh, speaking of breathing, uh, this idea he has a breathing grace, that as you speak, everything you ought to say should be filled with grace. That is God's, God's way of doing things, God's, God's gift. It's not condemning. It's not harsh. It's full of grace. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, right? Make charitable judgments. That means you see the best in people. You try to love people and not, not assume the worst about people. Um, again, speaking the truth in love is a good principle here. Talk from beside, not from above. This has this idea of helping people this way instead of talking down to them. It's like, I'm better than you, or I have this all figured out. Or, and that can be in tone, and that can be in, in words. Um, that you, you can, we very, sometimes people, uh, people do this in all different ways, and I think we all know how we tend to do it. I think each one of us can do it in a different way, probably. But uh, we can all be condescending or um, belittling others, right? You talk down to people or you, you uh, whatever, I'm going to leave that there. So be careful not to do that. Come along beside people. Um, the next one, help others examine the desires of their heart. We don't ever want to stop with just the root, with, with the fruits of someone's life. We want to get to the root system of helping people see now why they lose their temper or why this is happening. Again, this is something done very delicately because we don't want to, um, uh, we don't want to uh, come across or, or push them away by being uh, self-righteous. Uh, 
Choosing the right time and place, we talked about this, talk in person whenever possible, engage rather than declare. This has a lot to do with, um, uh, I think it was one of the guys at the Wilds, it might have been, might have been Doc Hay, I don't remember, he used to say, questions soften the heart, accusations harden. The idea of accusations harden, questions soften is a great principle. If you ask questions, it tends to open people up. If you, if you make accusations, it tends to close them down, right? So uh, engage with them. Don't just accuse. Don't just declare, right? And then he says, communicate so clearly you cannot be misunderstood. Good principle that uh, he took from the business world of it's not enough that you should be able to communicate to be understood. It's that you should be able to, that you must communicate so that it's impossible to misunderstand you. And sometimes that means saying things multiple ways and, and, and being as clear as, clear as possible. Let's go on from here. Let's look at Proverbs 14, 12. Uh, yes, sir, Charles? Yep. Yeah. Is it not correct <laughs> that as, <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, for sure. And, and we're talking about using skillful, trying your best to ask wise questions to help people see their participation in this. So Proverbs 14, someone want to try that? Or any other comments on that, by the way? Good, good, good clarifying point there. Um, Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 22. I think that's correct. Who wants to read it for us? Okay, Jimmy? 14, 22. Yep. Do they not go astray to devise evil? Okay, mercy and truth belong to those who what? Devise, plan, good. Okay, devise, we tend to think of as a bad context, devise, ooh, devising plans. But what he's saying here is that you must plan your words. Make plans with how you're going to speak to somebody. And, and I'm terrible at this. Um, I, 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 whenever I do it, I'm like, man, I should do this more often because <laughs> it works. Like if you think about what you're going to say ahead of time and are not in a situation, all of a sudden are thinking, how in the world am I going to deal with this? Um, my wife is really good at this. She, she, she will think through how to address something so that it is either least offensive or makes the best um, way of communicating with this particular person. She does it with me too. So she knows how to ask certain questions and do certain things. I'm like, that was actually really smart. She knows what she's doing, right? I don't think, I don't, I'm not very good at that, but, but, but if, you, if you are going to have to get into a sticky situation, um, plan your words. Like avoid certain words that you know they're not going to like and, and, and be, be smart. Don't, don't you know, um, we're not there's no, no spiritual gift of being dumb, right? There's no spiritual gift of flying by the seat of your pants. That's not being led by the Spirit. That's foolishness, right? Plan your words. Plan your words. I think that's very wise. And then the ne next one he says is use I statements. Um, what he means by this is that we are to uh, talk about our, uh, inst instead of blaming them constantly, talk about uh, things that cannot be debated. So, um, here, here's a classic example is instead of saying you were, you were mean when you said that, like if you're having a conversation, you say that was mean. Okay. That's debatable. Or your tone was, uh, your tone is mean. Okay. That's debatable. The person who's speaking might say, well, I don't think my tone was a problem. I don't, I wasn't mean. But if you say, um, I felt very violated by that comment or I, I, um, 
when you said that, I felt like this. If you, if you, if you show them how it impacted you, you can't really debate that. Like, you're just saying, this is how it impacted me. Again, there's, there's a lot of wisdom in this kind of stuff. This is not, there's not a Bible verse for use I statements, okay? We understand that we're getting here in the, the more like, hey, these are just wisdom issues. You have to, but this, I think, is, has some validity into it. We have to be careful, and I think it can be helpful to say, hey, actually, when you did this, this is how it, how it impacted me. And so, um, he says, you can focus on that, and it will, it will help. Does that, I don't know if that makes sense. Does that, that kind of make sense? You see that? Let me see if I can get a better example from the book. I'm sensing some, some blank stares. Um, let me see here. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Yeah, I am sensing some blank stares. Not you people are crazy. Yeah. Obviously, obviously, it's my fault that I am not uh, communicating as clear as I need to be. Yes, ma'am. Am I being, yeah, yeah. So you try to say, am I, do you try to put it on yourself? Yeah, he, he, he does say that, but I think he, he goes a little step further. He says this, here's his examples, quote, I feel hurt when you make fun of me in front of other people because it makes me feel stupid and foolish. As a result, I'm getting reluctant to go places with you and others may be, uh, when others may be around. Okay, you're just saying, this is, what I, this is what's going on. I, I feel, when, when you do this, I feel, I feel belittled when you make fun of me. Instead of saying, you're, you're making fun of me is prideful and, and whatever, which it is, but what he's saying is this is a softer way. Sometimes, you know, a soft answer turns away wrath, and sometimes we're not always wise about how we, how we talk about these kinds of things. And like I said, gently restore. This is lots of skill goes into this. Like, I, like I said, I, I, have, I have had to do this with sometimes, and it's gone really poorly. Like, I, I've, I've been like, man, that was awful. <laughs> that was terrible. Other times it goes fine. And other times it goes way better than you anticipate. You know, I, ha- I had a rough meeting or I have an anticipated meeting. I, my wife and I pray about it. And I come home. She's like, how did it go? I was like, great. She's like, oh, good. You know, because you don't, you don't know how it's going to go. And, and so I, I say that, that that's kind of the example he gives. And he says, um, I feel frustrated when you fail to keep your commitments because you play a key role in this department. As a result, I'm finding it difficult to depend on you and work with you. Okay. Yeah, Bill. Just one comment. Uh, we need to share in the right manner uh, how we feel about a situation without the blame then, you know, without the blame being shifted to them. And after we share, what do you think about what I've said? Instead yeah. of, I think we have to be careful what we say that it's because of you that this is what right. is going on in my life, the way I'm feeling about it. So we share a little bit how we feel, and what do you think about what I'm saying? How? Well, let me, let me, uh, that's a really good point. That's a really good point, and I want to kind of say one more little uh, thing, and then we'll move on, is that to tie into this, by saying it this way, you can actually open the door for conversation. Like, so let's go back to the situation where if the person says, I feel like every time you belittle me in public, it embarrasses me and makes me not want to go out in public with you. Then the other person can say, well, thank, uh, uh, do you know, like, you should stop picking your nose in public, <laughs> you know, or something like that. Like, part of the problem is your hygiene is not where it should be, and so you're, you're embarrassing me in front of you. You know, and then you can have a real, oh, I didn't realize that I was doing that. I didn't realize that was causing this issue. 
maybe that's a bad example, but, but that's just off the top of my head. But like you can have a conversation. You can have a conversation. Like it doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to just uh, be a, a blow up every time you can actually have and work through things. I think a lot of times when I talk to couples, I, mean, I know I keep going back to couples because it seems like a lot of these things are really relevant to marriage. It's like I talk to couples, it's like they can't go anywhere because anytime there's any kind of anything that happens between the two of them, boom, you know, so much bad blood has been built up between the two of them. They just, there's explosion of, of anger because they don't actually hear each other. And, and so this, some of this is meant to break through with that. Let's keep going. Now, the next one is to be objective. Be objective. That is use facts. Don't use exaggerated emotive language. You always do this. You never do this. Every time. Okay, when you use those words, you're not telling the truth. You're using emotive language. So be careful not to exaggerate. Be objective. Be very clear. And, and, and wives, I will say that, that your husbands, that's a great way to communicate to your husband because if you're very objective and you're very clear, a lot of times that breaks down his defense, which is, oh, you're exaggerating, right? Um, that t- that's a typical kind of defense. Oh, you're being, oh, you're, you're exaggerating. You're not, you know, this is ridiculous or whatever because uh, that can tend to be, that's a tendency, sometimes emotive a, a language. The person can dismiss it, saying, oh, you're, you're, you're overreacting. When no, they're not over, they are overreacting, but what they're reacting to is real. So, so try not to, uh, uh, to do that. You be objective. Uh, next one, use the Bible carefully. Use the Bible carefully. He says we should not use the Bible to tear others down. Okay, uh, and, and this happens. A uh, husband will quote the Bible at his wife. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Now, do the dishes. Oh, oh, oh. oh man. Um, don't do that. Don't abuse the Bible like that. Don't use the Bible as a weapon. It says, wives, submit yourselves. It doesn't say, husbands, use the Bible to force your wives to submit to you. It doesn't say that. It says, wives should be doing this. And so, when you do that, you're violating the whole intent of that passage. You're, you're abusing the Scripture. So, use the Bible. Don't use it to tear others down. Don't don't quote the Bible um, uh, at people in that way. Don't take verses out of context. Don't take verses out of context. If you're dealing with someone and you're, having, uh, you're talking about the Bible and you're dealing with sin especially, it's often helpful to have people read the passage on their own. Um, the Bible has a, a tr- God uses this, His Word in a tremendous way. And so when I'm witnessing to people, I do the same thing. I say, do you mind reading this? Or if I'm working with someone often, I'll, I'll turn the Bible around and I'll try to read upside down and point to the right verse and have them read that passage because it makes a difference. Uh, and then encourage people, okay, yeah, and the next, know when to stop. Know when to stop. Um, so use the Bible carefully. And at some point, sometimes people will shut you down, shut you off. If you keep quoting the Scripture at them, it won't actually uh, make any impact. Last three, he says here, is you should ask for feedback after you have a conversation like this. Ask for feedback. So, you know, how, how was I clear? This is kind of what we were saying earlier was, um, am, am I being clear? Is a great way of saying, do you understand me? But do you understand me can come across belittling. As in, you, you may or may not have the ability to understand me, I'm so smart. Or if you say, am I being clear? What you're saying is, am I, am I clearly speaking? And it's much better to say. So, am I being clear? Um, does that make sense? Is another good question. Does that make sense? Um, can you see where I'm coming from? Uh, where am I wrong? Help, help me here. Things like th- like things like this are, are feedback questions. Help, help me out. I'm trying to understand this. You see what I'm saying? That that's a great way of like 
getting them on your side and trying to do that. Um, and then uh, last, offer solutions and preferences um, without the impression that you have all the answers or that your way is best. You know, try to offer some basic solutions. Hey, have you ever thought about this? You ever thought about that? Why don't, why don't we try next time we go out, we do this? Um, why don't we try next time we have an argument, we try this? I have an idea that might solve our issue and present it. And then recognize your limits. Recognize your limits. I don't remember this passage. Second Timothy 2. Okay, yeah. Second Timothy 2.24. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, ultimately God is the one who has to really reach their heart so they may know the truth. So we need to recognize our limits. You cannot make other people change. Okay. God is the one who does that change, and they have to be willing to change. And then there's a little quote at the bottom uh, from Ron Craybill on this uh, article he wrote. He said, effective confrontation is like a graceful dance from supportiveness to assertiveness and then back again. So that was interesting that you have to be doing this skillfully. Like I said here, gently restore is not a paint-by-numbers, step-by-step checklist kind of a thing. It, you have to just jump in and try it and, and be willing to change and willing to adapt and ask for God's grace and God's mercy to do that. Any questions or thoughts about that, that stuff? Was I clear? Does that make sense? All right, flip it over. We got a couple minutes. Part of uh, confrontation also is uh, partnerships and um, reconcilers. Reconcilers, uh, keeping people involved in this process. Um, Matthew 18, 16 says, but if you will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Um, Bonhoeffer, who you may or may not know, he was um, around during the uh, Second World War. He was German uh, Christian, and uh, he said this, nothing is so cruel as the tenderness that consigns another to his sin. In other words, nothing is worse than if you are afraid to confront someone and you just let them languish in their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. And um, so Matthew 18 is the, uh, the passage we're dealing with. In fact, if you turn there, let's look at the Matthew 18 process here. I've got all steps here, steps one through five. And uh, I cover this in intro class as well, slightly differently than he covers it, but pretty close to what he says here in this, uh, in this book, Matthew 18. The general principle of Matthew 18, I like the way he says this, the general principle of confronting and of church discipline, really, is the broader context here, is to keep the circle as small as possible, as long as possible. Okay? And um, this is something we practice here at Harvest uh, religiously, that we, we do not Get, talk about people's problems outside of the context of the, the problem or the solution. And, and, we, and we make it very clear, if, if, uh, every, if there's a counseling situation that's getting very volatile, whoever's the chairman of the deacons gets pulled in on that sometimes, and I will talk to him about that. And, but we have the very serious, like, you don't talk about this, we don't need to get the circle bigger than it needs to be. And I'm thankful that uh, most people, if there's stuff going on, have no idea what, until, it's, until it's time 
for something to be brought forward. And I think that's very important. Gossip will kill a church. And so, gossip is such a bad… In fact, some churches are known to be gossips. You know where gossip a lot of times happens? In prayer meetings. Hey, y'all pray for Susie. She and her husband, they aren't getting along very well, you know. Y'all pray for so-and-so, you know, he's got… So, so we, the goal is to keep the, the circle as small as possible, as long as possible, and I, I'm really thankful. So far, we work very hard to make that happen, and um, it's one of my goals to keep it that way. Step one is, before we ever get to this point, is we can overlook minor offenses. Overlook minor offenses, step one. So, all that looks like is… Um, Cover it in love, right? Somebody offends you, you don't have to confront them. You don't have to confront everybody who offends you. Somebody says something that is offensive. Somebody mentions something that you're like, I don't think that's right. You, don't, you, you can overlook it in love. If it's, as long as it's, and we already talked about the reasons or how you do this, but that is the first step. You have that right. You don't have to go to them and confront every little thing. In fact, if, if that's your job, if that's your life, that's miserable to go around and like correct everyone all the time, right? Just so many things. In fact, most things should be done this way. But if you cannot overlook minor offenses, Matthew 18 tells us in verse 15. Who could read verse 15? Who wants to read that? Okay, Tony. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Right. So the first one is to talk in private, you and him alone, right? And then the second st- or the third step, after you, you have done that step, so private, it then says, well, let's read that next verse, Tony. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. Okay, so then you take one or two others alone. And there's two ways you can do this. Um, the, the, the dots there, are the, the bullet points below that, is you can do it by mutual agreement. So uh, by mutual agreement means that you say, hey, Tony, we've had an issue um, I don't like the Dallas Cowboys. He keeps wearing Dallas Cowboys stuff all the time. It just, it's offensive to me. How could you do such a thing? This is, uh, this is ungodly. And so um, I need to confront him over this. And he's like, well, I'm going to, uh, can we agree on someone to come along? And he said, I'll, I'll ask Eddie Merck, <laughs> who's also a Dallas Cowboys fan, and somebody else, and, and, and they will come and, and we'll talk about it. And I'm like, I'm okay with that. Sure, sure, that's fine. And so we can have a mutual agreement on having a couple other people come. Like, it doesn't have to be my people against him. It's not, this is not a gang-up situation where I find my friends and we come and gang up on Tony. This can be, hey, can we work this out? Obviously, this is not working in private. He's not, he's not listening to me. I said, like, can we get someone else involved in this? And, and between us, we can decide on that. That's totally fine, and that's appropriate. Mutual by mutual agreement. But if you, if you can't um, come to uh, this, you might have to do this on your own initiative. That's the second point. You might have to say, um, he's like, look, leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. I don't think this is an issue. I think you're being ridiculous. Uh, and I say, well, fine, if you're not going to, to deal with this, then we need to, I need to bring some people and talk to you. So that's the second step. And that was a bad example because it's not a sin to like the Dallas Cowboys. Um, but, uh, oh, I'm sorry. It's, I put initiative in my notes. I should say on your own. I, I changed the wording because I didn't like the word initiative. I changed it for the handout on your own. Um, sorry about that. So basically, on my own, I would go find people and bring them uh, to him. And then only after we've met, it says uh, in, in verse, um, 
Verse 16, if, if he, he will not, uh, it also says, by the word, mouth of every, two or three witnesses, every word will be established, okay? Verse 17, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church, okay? Tell it to the church. That's step four. And on step four, when you tell it to the church, what does it say next in that verse, verse 17? Tell it to the church, and, but if he what? To what? Okay, what's the, what's the uh, um, implication of that? What's, the, what's assumed in that statement? If he refuses to hear the church. The church is doing what? The church is speaking. Pleading. Right? So if two or three come to him, they're pleading with him to repent. And he says no. And then tell it to the church. I think there's a pause here. I think the church gets involved to beseech that person to repent. That's my take on this. If he will not hear the church, it means the church is going to him. So first it's one-on-one, then it's two or three-on-one, now it's the church-on-one. And the whole church is praying and beseeching his brother to come to be reconciled. But if he will not hear the church, what does it say? It says to treat him as a non-believer, let him be as a heathen and a tax collector. I want you to note, if you look down just a couple verses, verse 18, he says, in this context, he says, assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I say to you, if any of you, any two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That verse is in the context of this church discipline stuff. And what he's saying is that the church's decision is binding. That's the word he uses their binding. In fact, um, binding and loosing has the idea of relationships. So the authority to cast them out of the church does not mean that you're choosing whether or not they're saved. It just means that you have the authority as a church to say, this person's not acting like a believer. We're going to disassociate with them. And they say, well, I feel like a believer and I claim to be a believer. I'm sorry, the church can make the decision. And it's a binding decision to dismiss this person from fellowship. The Bible says that whatever you do, God, has his, God will approve that decision from the church for that individual. You see that? The church's decision is binding on that person. Um, but what does it mean to treat someone as a non-believer? Three bullet points here, that you withdraw their membership privileges. A church is a group of baptized believers in Jesus Christ. If you're not acting like a believer in Jesus Christ, and the church says you're not acting like a believer, we're going to treat you like an unbeliever, I'm sorry, you can't be a member here. Uh, secondly, you work to evangelize them. We pray for them. We pray that you're saved. It doesn't seem like the Spirit's working in your life, so is the Spirit in your life. He has here perhaps excluded from the church property, if they're being threatening or if they're being uh, 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 dangerous, you might want to do that. But I, I typically say we, we'd invite them to come and hear the gospel. Like, okay, we don't believe in shunning like how, the, how uh, some of those um, Amish groups do it, right? You kick them out of the society, and you see them in Walmart, you don't talk to them. That is not correct. That is not biblical church discipline. You treat, do you treat unbelievers like that? I'm sorry, I can't talk to you, cashier. You're an unbeliever. I only talk to people who trust Jesus as their Savior. How are you going to evangelize at that point? doesn't make any sense. No, we treat someone like an unbeliever. just means you pray for them to be saved. You, don't, you can't let them be a member of your church, but you love them. You invite them to your house. You know, you don't, you don't distance yourself from them like that. So, um, that's the process of Matthew 18 as we take one or two others along. Any questions does that bring up?
Yes. Uh, is it safe to say the steps, you can repeat those steps, like going to them? You don't have to just say, I already went right. to them. But you go to them several times. You yeah. can repeat these steps over yeah, there's a, there's a couple, and, and I, I would love to pick this up next week and talk about this in more, more in depth, Ernest, because there are several caveats here. Number one is that, that you, it's not like I went to you once and you didn't respond right, so now I'm going to move to step two. You might go two or three times to that person. Um, also, there's no time limit on this. It doesn't say that after two weeks you move to step two, after three weeks you move to step three. This is something where we, we use as much time as is necessary. The goal is reconciliation always. That's the goal. Let's pray and close, and then what we'll do is next week I want to pick up where we left off here and talk about this some more. Father, we thank you for your word and how um, you, you, you show us the importance of, of working to reconcile people. And Lord, we want people to be reconciled too. We hate it when people are unreconciled with you and, and with the church body. And so we ask you, Lord, to work in hearts. Help us to have a desire to love people and to, and to encourage people uh, to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.